0: So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. I could not be more excited about today's podcast because you guys hear me constantly talking about scaling, And not just investing, creating a business. And today we have the author of Level Jumping, his book, Mike Simmons. And this is exactly what he goes over, okay? So Level Jumping is all about scale. It's all about building and how you go from one to multiple. And so many people, you know, you you have that, you have like these periods where you get stuck, right? You get stuck getting started, but then you get started, and you just don't know where to go for it, and you get stuck. Um, this is a topic, as all my listeners know, I get to talk about all day. So with that said, I'm done. We're going to bring them on. So with that, Mike, welcome on.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to talk about this, too. It's a topic I love talking about.
0: So, okay, then just to get started, give a little background. And then, too, though, I guess I got to ask, you know, when you, when you were coming up, And when you you were writing this book, and, you you know, give me some background, but why did you think it was important to write? And what did you focus on? Because there's so many different parts of scale, and there's so many different parts that people talk about.
1: Yep. Okay, fair enough. So I'll start with who I am and and, and where I come from. So born and raised in Michigan, Midwest guy. Uh, Father was a Marine uh, then he turned. He was became an auto automotive worker, tool and die guy. Real hard nosed, blue collar uh, environment. No no entrepreneurs in my life. Nobody telling me start a business, grow a business, build a team. None of that. It was get a job, get a union job, go to work, work for 35, 40 years, retire at sixty five. You know, die ten years later, and that's sort of like how life is is run. And and I you know I'm I'm a kid, so I, I kind of bought into that. I got a job working for UPS right out of high school, and I thought okay done deal. Don't need college. I have my union job. I'm good to go. Right. Mm -hmm. And I got a job there at like 19. And by the time I was 24, I had to go to the chiropractor three days a week just to get out of bed. My back was so wrecked by 24. And I saw these older guys hobbling around bad elbows, bad knees, can't stand up straight. They're off on medical half the year. And I was like, this can't be what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Like physically, I don't even think I can at this point. So left there, went into the automotive industry. Again, parents thrilled. I think, all right, I found it now. This is where I'm going to be the rest of my life. Still no need for college. I'm 24 years old and started working. And uh, uh, the automotive automotive industry had a downturn around 2000. And I was in the industry for about six, six years at that point. And when I saw people losing their jobs and stuff, I just sort of looked around and said, I'm expendable. Like I don't have a college degree. I have some experience, but what what sets me out from the crowd, right? At least I was self-aware enough to do that. I realized I don't know that I would hire me if I owned a company. Like why would I? There's other people that are more qualified losing their job. Yeah. So I went back to college, got a degree, got a much better job, much higher paying job. Now I've got a degree. I'm on this kind of a white collar course now. I see this corporate dream. I know what I want to do. I'm set. I know exactly what I want out of life. And as I start climbing this ladder and going down this path, I'm looking at the jobs that I'm vying for in the future, like the jobs that I'm coveting that I think I want. And these folks hate their life, hate their wife, hate their kids, working all the time, ulcers, miserable, just miserable. And I'm like this, again, I sort of had this like, what am I striving for here? This doesn't look like they hate their jobs. Why would I like it, right? Right. So started looking into real estate, not, not necessarily real estate, started looking into how to invest, how to invest my money, what money I have, how can I make this money work for me so I can get out of this sooner and started looking at stocks and, and things for stock market. Day trading was a big thing, and I just hated it. you know like I could go on and on with stories about how much I hate it, but I really just didn 't like it but if you google real if you google investing eventually you 'll hit real estate you'll you'll go far enough where you 'll hit real estate investing and i did, and I started reading these success stories and reading about people who were doing real estate and I started finding these different places and meetups and seminars and i I just I loved it. I was all in, loved the world. This was 2003 now. That's important to know because (laughs) I fell in love and I said, this is what I want to do with my life. This is who I want to be. I found it, right? 2003. Fast forward, 2008 bought my first property, right? So what did I do for five years when I was so enthralled and so excited? I did what a lot of people do. I procrastinated. I made excuses. I got into this paralysis analysis. I don't know enough. There's another technique. There's another thing. There's, there's rentals. There's flipping. There's storage. There's notes. There's all these things I can do. And everybody makes it sound like that's what I should be doing when I talk to them. And I just froze. And honestly, at the end of the day, I was afraid. I think that's what a lot of freezing is. Paralysis analysis, procrastination. It's all based around fear. It's all fear-based. Yeah. And uh in my house growing up fear was not tolerated it was not something we 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 uh we celebrated and i kind of got disgusted with myself like what am i doing like i'm kind of a big poser i'm a big liar i'm telling everyone i'm in real i'm doing real estate and i'm i'm excited I'm not doing it though and so i finally just took the plunge did my first deal in 2008 it happened i probably saved myself a little bit by procrastinating a little bit because the house i actually the first house i got an accepted offer to fl- i was started out as a flipper by the way but when I, the first house that I got an accepted offer and I was waiting to close, the small local mortgage company that I was using went under 2008, right? It wasn't yeah. unusual. They went under, I lost my down payment. It was a big disaster, money I didn't have, you know, basically. And I thought, oh, this is the worst thing. But I got back on the horse and, and kept going. And the next house that I got under contract, I actually closed on in the same neighborhood, same footprint same blueprint, same house. I got it for half the price. And this was like six <laughs> months later. So again- Didn't miss that down bad. payment anymore, did yeah. you? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't miss that down payment because that, my, my bad luck turned into like the best luck because I would have lost more than $10,000 easily. And, yeah. and so got that house, did it, made $15,000, made a lot of mistakes, learned a lot of stuff. But that was the start. That was the first time I, I proved to myself I could do it. And once I had that proof of concept, I was all in. That's awesome, that's just
0: awesome. And so, after you get this proof of concept, let's talk about the difference of investing and owning and running a business. Tell me a little bit about how that, because these are two totally different things. And and you hit on this kind of first, right? You get you get a deal or whatnot. How do you move forward though? How do how do you how do you really grow? Because there's investing, but then there's Actually, having a business, and I view that as growth,
1: right? So, yeah. I mean, and that's kind of the the difference there. Yeah. So for me, like a lot of times when people talk about investing, and I and I don't know what side of the fence you fall on here, but when some people will say flipping is not, you're not a real estate investor. You're you have a business and you flip houses. And that's great, but that's not investing. Um, and I, I get that. I get that point. So investing is is very passive, right? You can invest and just sort of have. You can have, you know, you can be part owner, you can just have rentals and somebody manages them for you. And it's very hands-off and passive. That's, that's investing for me. Owning a business is, it's, it's having, having something that produces predictable, reliable income. And it's something that has to be managed. There's, there's a, there's a level of involvement there. Right. And so, but I I think where we're going to go with this in a minute here is there's, There's also, there's this, you know, they talk about it in the E-myth, right? These, the operators, the technicians Mm -hmm. versus the owners. Yes. And all of us, virtually all of us start off as a technician. We have to, we have to be in the trenches. We have to know how to find deals. We have to know how to close deals. We have to know how to raise money for deals. Like we're doing it all right. And depending on which part of the business you're in, there's different components and different seats that have to be filled, whether it's you or somebody else. But initially it's always you. And what I my business was I grew to a point I was running around like crazy I grew to a point and I could not imagine going any farther than that and then I met a guy who was literally doing 10 times the amount of deals that I was doing and he only had a couple of people that worked for him but he was doing so much more than me and as I got to know him I realized there's a whole world of running a business that I had no idea about because no one ever taught me I was learning everything organically I was making mistakes bumping into walls and I had a lot of misconceptions and preconceived ideas of what it meant to run a business that wasn't helping me. It wasn't aiding me at all. So I was this technician. And by the way, when you're the technician in your company and you're the only person in your company, I can almost promise you there are aspects of your business, of your company that you are not great at. Uh, you're hundred percent. Su- yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're sufficient for yeah. the time because you have to be right. Like mm-hmm. I can be anything I have to be if I have to be it. But I realized When I started building my team, like, for example, big part of my business, sales, big part of any business, really, sales, right? Sales. I was getting sales. I was was signing contracts. I was doing all the sales stuff. And I thought, you know, I I knew I didn't love it, honestly. I had to sort of psych myself up when I was like in the driveway of a a homeowner. I was going to talk to you or whatever, but... I thought, I'm, I'm pretty good, actually. I'm I'm getting contracts. And then when I hired someone whose real superpower is sales, that's what he loves. That's what he does. That's what he thinks about. That's all he yes. wants. He was closing deals at a rate of two to three times what I was closing them. Like with five opportunities, I would usually get one contract. That was about my, my rate. With five opportunities, he gets two to three and maybe four on a good week, right? And yeah. I was like, what is this? How much money did I leave on the table? So Hiring is a huge part of it, but the minute you start hiring as this operator, as this one-man band, the solopreneur, so to speak, once you start hiring, you take yourself out of that operator role, and you become a leader, and you become someone who has to hire, train, inspire, lead, motivate, all these things, right? And, okay. and the analogy that I like to use is when I was in the automotive industry, this happened quite a bit over and over again. They would, they would go into the uh, engineering department, for example and they would take the the most talented engineer in that department and they would pluck him or her out and they would promote them to engineering manager and what happened a lot of times was they didn't do well because they're not engineering managers they're engineers yep. they they are good at doing it they're not good at at leading it right yes. and then honestly when i was in the automotive industry the, the most effective superior boss, whatever you want to call him, the most effective manager that I reported to in my entire career knew nothing about our department. Nothing. He was a good leader. He he asked for help when he knew he didn't know what was going on. He leaned on the experience of some of the more senior people in the department, and we were wildly successful. And he knew nothing. And he admitted, I don't know what you guys know. I need you. I need you so that we can be better. And Far and away the best manager I've ever worked with, so I try to take that into my company and realize there are people that are better than me. I may have done that job, but they are better than me, and that's why I hired them. I want them to be better than me no i I
0: couldn't agree more with that statement i it's first of all, I think it's um prideful if you don't want to give it up because you don't think you're good at it, which it, even if you are even if you are good at it, that just means so you know i I I try to think in terms of impact decisions and impact that we have. There's things that I'm doing that I probably shouldn't ever be doing in the first place. Even if I can do them good, it's taking away from other things that make an impact on my business. That hurts my customers. That hurts my employees. That hurts everybody because now I'm not focusing and making things better. And so often we're doing things that – You know, we need to set aside our pride and say, first of all, you are better than this. This is your speciality, and I shouldn't be doing it. Um, And I need to focus and become once again the leader. I need to. There needs to be a captain of the ship. There's got to be the guy that's saying, "Listen, this is where the ship is going. We've got to go in this direction, everybody." And you got to bring people on. And in this, this, how do you say? How do you like this process though of transferring? Because you're right. You start off is like. This is the only thing I do, right? This is, you know, I'm a sales guy. I'm a sales guy. I'm out doing it, right? I got started in sales. But then you get capped. Your time can only go so much. There's only so much you got to do. So you got to bring in other people. Then what should they be doing? And how efficient are they in that? And then you're playing all these games, right? And then you're juggling. And uh, you're trying to get yourself into a position where you're no longer working in the business. You're working on the business, And once you remove yourself from the equation in most aspects, I find that's when you flourish. That's when you really grow because you can insert as many talented people as you want. You can't just keep duplicating your actions though. We only have 24 hours. There's only so much you can do. We are our worst enemy when it comes to scale. And I see this time and time and time again. And it's one of the reasons I love the subject and how I view, and you mentioned this at the first, you know, investing versus business. It's all business, right? Yeah. If you're investing, right, you're just placing capital somewhere and not doing it. That's one thing. But yeah. at the end of the day, if I don't care if you're buying a duplex and you're going to manage it and you want to build a portfolio, if you want to do that thing, right? I want to be a real estate investor. I want to own it, things. You can only be so passive unless you have a lot of money. then that's totally different. Yeah. Right. If not, you've got to create value. You've got to build something. you got to get in there. you got to do the work and you got to understand it to see opportunity. Yeah. You're running a business. I don't care if you don't have an employees,
1: right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're running a business. That's a huge, that's a huge mistake. I see too. You're right. People sometimes don't view it, especially if they're doing it on the side because they're still working a full-time job. If you don't treat it like a business, it never will be. Right. Yes. And if you and if you are running a business and you and you don't think of it as a business, it soon may not be, right? Exactly. You may you may lose that. And and just real quick, I want to add something because you, you you said something really, really smart about this. You can just keep hiring people, but you can't duplicate yourself over and over again. There's only so much time in the day. What I did, the big mistake I made when I first started hiring, and I want to caution anyone against this, is I owned the company and I was doing everything. So my thought was, I'm gonna hire someone. And I'm going to just download everything I do to them. But what you find is and it's human nature and it's, and it's yeah. fair. It's totally yeah. fair. They're not going to be able to do as much as you because they're not incentivized the same way you yes. are. If this thing blows up and becomes a million dollar, 5 million, 10 million, 50 million, whatever it is, you're going to benefit differently than them. You can't expect them to be you. And, mm-hmm. and, Furthermore, I'm I'm a big fan, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm a big fan of when I bring people in, I try to give them a a, a fairly well-defined and slightly narrow lane. I want them to have a responsibility, a primary responsibility, so they never feel confused about what their priorities are. Mm -hmm. In other words, a salesperson is a salesperson. I'm not having them go to closings or talk to title. Their job is to get leads, go on appointments, get contracts, contracts rinse repeat that's that's what they do yes. and everybody in my company has a very short list of things that i expect from them because i want them to have a north star so to speak i yeah. want them to always know which direction they're going we
0: have you know in teams we look at people you see you're a producer you're a handler right you are an account manager and you are admin staff yeah. um and it's that's how things that, that's how you scale. That's it you're being. You can't make it. And you, I love what you just said here. I got to bring it up because it happens to all of us. And it mm. it always does. It still happens to me when you're an entrepreneur and you're doing everything. The first problem you have is you say, what do you give to those people to do? And there are certain things that lots of times you make the decision to give the activities based upon what you don't like doing mm-hmm. that doesn't work though. There's lots of things that I don't maybe like doing. Like I'm actually not a huge fan of content creation, right? So I'm getting better at it. I'm trying to make the videos. I'm trying to put stuff on Instagram. So our investors and people can see what we're doing, get inside, look, things like that. Right. Um, but I always thought I'll just have somebody else do that. I'll farm it out. It doesn't work like that. Right. And there's a lot of parts of your business that you pass certain things off and your business is going to fail. And uh, you need to make sure you're making the correct decisions and you're in the right place, right? Being on the right seat on the bus is very important. So when you dole out tasks, it's important to have metrics and how you look to dole out those tasks. And so what tasks, what needs to be achieved and what should you be doing instead of, and and that's hard, especially when you're going nonstop, right? I love starting businesses. I love growing them. And when you start out, it's like, we're all wearing all hats. We got to get this figured out. but it can't continue like that or it'll fall apart.
1: And you brought up probably the second most, maybe the most, it depends. Hiring is really, really important, hiring great people, but metrics, knowing your numbers, having metrics that people are measured by, both quantitative and in my opinion, activity-based. In other words, I don't, if I just have a metric for my sales guy, you have to get X amount of contracts. And he goes, well, okay, I didn't get that many this week. I have nothing to tell him, right? It's like, well, go do it, right? Yeah. But it's like, The metrics are you need to get X amount of contracts, but your, your activity metric is you have to make X amount of calls and go on X amount of appointments with people that you meet for coffee or whatever. Like, like there's activity metrics because activities always lead to results. So you can manage the activities you you should get the results and results are bi- basically trailing indicators anyway right it's yeah. like that's history that's it's good you need to know it but it's history yeah. but how do you affect They're it or history yes They're yeah, ide- exactly. they identify problems when
0: success happened they, yep. and w- so we started up a wholesale company and the same thing we took and say okay this is how many leads we need this is how many calls need to be placed this is how many mails you got to go if you're trying to get one um wholesale done a week right that's a closing x what is x so then you work it backwards and you plan your whole day out and Mm -hmm. we know if you're not getting certain if you're not making a certain amount of calls you're not getting in front of certain you're not going to hit those if you hit more or less and you're doing that activity yeah of course things change things go on but on average we know what works and i do this personally though so i'm kind of obsessive compulsive about this i break down my activity-based goals and then those become my daily ones and i do that quarterly based upon yearly and five and ten because if you're not using metrics to measure and to grow, you're just hoping,
1: yeah, yeah, I, I equate it to someone flying a plane without instruments, right You, you may know you're in the air at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm airborne, mm-hmm. but you don't know what's coming, you don't know if you're gaining altitude, losing altitude, you don't know if there's a, a you know a, a mountain in your, in your path, like you don't know, right and knowing you and that's how people run their business a lot of times. I found they know money's going into the account, and they know money's going out but they never have a sense of whether or not they're profitable until yes. until they fail, right? Yes. So knowing your numbers is so huge. In, in your analogy of like, how many calls do you make, right? This is how many calls we're going to make. Maybe we'll exceed our goal. Maybe we'll miss it. It will go under it. But if you know how many calls you're making and you're consistently missing the goal, you know you have to raise the amount of calls, right? Mm-hmm. It's just It's just logic. So metrics not only tell you if you're profitable, if you're not profitable, it can tell you where maybe there's some failure some failure points. So man, you just can't do without metrics. I, I gave a whole presentation, like a 45-minute presentation on metrics last year. It's ultra critical. And, and here's the deal. Most entrepreneurs do not enjoy necessarily curating numbers and filling out spreadsheets. We like no. building things. We yeah. like being talking to people and doing, making things happen. So as soon as you say, Hey, you got to have the spreadsheet and you got to check these numbers. Like we just gloss and we don't do it. I did the same thing. So, I mean, that's, that's that's a good example of something that's time-consuming, but as long as the numbers are available in your system, somebody else on your team can pull them into a spreadsheet and kind of have that ready for you to review. You don't necessarily need to be the one doing that. You should be the one reviewing it for sure, making des- big decisions, but you don't have to curate that stuff. Well,
0: and this is another important thing. And, and I, I mean, you're just hitting it one after another. This is like just seriously the art of scale. Documentation is everything. So when you're starting a business, you need to document everything. And starting a business, I'm talking real estate. Who brought you the deal? How'd you find the deal? How'd you know if the deal was good or not? Who'd you talk to? Who was the banks? Who's the lenders? What process did you have to go to? Are you prepared for the next time? Can you repeat that process, right? Yeah. This duplex worked. I make money on it. Can you do that again? Are you going to be able to do it again? Document what you're doing. And so that way you can look, find what worked, what didn't, take out what doesn't, and what works, Repeat. If you don't document, you can't transfer. And a lot of people forget this. You hire somebody and you say, hey, I want you to do that job. And they say, what is that job? I'm not a part of your business. I don't know. And you, in order to document, and I like to automate documentation because I don't like documenting. I hate it. Yeah. Right. I don't like writing things down. I don't do it. You're a normal entrepreneur. Wow. Exactly. Right. And so (laughs) um, we use uh, different software systems. um, That's just like, hey, this is how we communicate. You communicate, you're logging, you're putting pictures, you're doing things. So when we do employee reviews, when we're going back to say, what happened here? And we find the red flags and we see when there's problems because there's always problems, always. They're not going to go away. Um, And when we hit, we try to see what works. And then each department or silo, as you grow and you build out, they have their own metrics. They have them documented. And I try to just automate that as much as possible because that's easier. But documentation is what you create metrics out of. And it's how you judge whether those metrics are valid. Cause you brought up a good point and you know, people is I, I know me, I don't want, you know, so much of this can be arbitrary and I, you got to get a r- rid of arbitrary. And so if you have two sales guys, right, they're making the same amount of calls. One's hitting the metrics every time. And the other one's not okay. Well, we understand now it's something wrong with your sales pitch. There's something going on. And you're not saying let's work on training Right. Let's work on this. Um, and you can look back and I can say, here's your calls. We can see you're doing them. We can see the right activities that produce this good result. Now let's try to figure out where it's going wrong. Yep. And without that, people get upset and they get lost because then you're just saying you're not doing a good job. And they're like, okay, well, what went
1: wrong? How do I do better? What are the expectations? Yep. And that's the important thing of of having more than one data point, right? One one sales guy making a hundred calls a day and not hitting the metrics, you don't know for sure if the if the calls have to go up or if the sales pitch is is poor, right? You have two people, two horses running side by side, doing everything the same in terms of volume. One's producing, one's not. It's not the volume; yeah. it's the person, and they need to be trained or whatever. You know, it's funny. I, I one of the mistakes I made when I first started scaling is. You know, we didn't, we didn't track our numbers at first. We were scaling, we were growing and hair on fire. And we weren't really tracking. Yeah. And so my partner is a sales guy. He's the first sales guy I ever hired. We became partners, but I hired him. He was great. Getting tons of contracts, stuff in the pipe. I'm a, I'm a primary wholesaler, by the way, yeah. now at the, in this point, um, get tons of stuff in the pipeline. He's like, all right, we're going to hire a sales guy. I'm going to kind of back out of the day-to-day. We're going to get this guy up and running. So we got this guy in, kind of shotgunned it. Didn't do a lot of, a lot of um, coaching or training or anything. Got him in the field. We're like, all right, we're closing deals. We're like, this is awesome. We were closing deals. We weren't signing deals, but we weren't paying attention to that because we just knew, hey, another closing today. Hey, two closings today, four closings next week. This is great. We're just rocking and rolling. These were all properties that my partner had already gotten under contract and were just kind of going through the pipeline and they were popping off and we were making money. It was great. We got to the end of that pipeline and there was nothing and we weren't keeping an eye on that because it happened so fast over the course of a couple of months. And we're like, you've only gotten two contracts in two months. Like, yeah. We need you to get to a week, and here we are, and we had this huge gap in our revenue because we weren't yeah. paying attention.
0: And this dry spell, so so we set up a, a private equity division of our real estate, and one of the things that we focused and we just had our meeting on was, okay, first of all, we need constant deal flow. Okay, we need to be able to put investors into deals. We need closing deals. We put the metrics. What are we shooting for? We're shooting for two large storage facilities every single quarter um, starting out. And then we're going to up it from there. But for the next um, uh, next little bit. And then when we start looking at that, we start saying, okay, how do we track these deals? And so we got the software system where we're saying, here's the deals. And we're looking and like you talk about that back end of that funnel. What I want is I want all these deals listed out, and I want to see the odds of us getting it. So, if you want to be a real estate investor, first of all, real estate investor business doesn't matter. And you say I can't find a good deal. That's because you're not cultivating anything in a funnel to find a good deal. So when I the people are like, "How did you find that deal?" I'm like, "Well, we have." we have relationships with brokers. We're out hunting. I'm talking to everybody I can. And then I'm feeling in a funnel. We're creating odds of success. And then we're seeing what we need to get that deal across the line. So I know that if we are, we've got our funnel, I want 10 deals in there that we're constantly working on to get one across the the thing every quarter. And we need to be able to look and change the relationship of odds of that deal closing as we move along. So the whole team is looking at this saying that deal just went from, Uh, high odds to a low, what happened? Why do we need to kick it out? And now what do we got to bring up? So you're constantly analyzing this flow because revenue traps are bad. And I see this with all salespeople, real estate agents, anything like that. But I still see this with real estate investors, they plateau. And it's like, well, my broker moved away or they just were never filling it up. And it was like, they stumbled upon deals when times were good, but they weren't actively cultivating business right. relationships or yeah. uh, deal flow. And that's a problem.
1: Yeah. I call that scraping the cream off the top. Anyone can scrape the cream. It's easy. You just yes. you get a call. Someone says, Hey, I got your postcard, your letter. I want to sell my house. Can you come out and talk to me? That's cream. Uh, you yep. make an outbound call and you say, Hey, this is me. Whoever, whatever your pitch is, And they go, that sounds great. I want to move cream right? It's when they go, ah, I'm not really interested right now. I don't really know. I think I'm going to try to sell. And they start giving you all these objections and you have to dig and then, and then it doesn't happen. And then they go into that. Like you said, this, this follow-up sequence of, "Ah, I talked to them. It's kind of a hot, you know, maybe a warm lead. It's not cold. They weren't ready to sell. But I think if I call them back in a, in a week or two, like you have all these various stages of the funnel. And if you only focus on the super red hot and they're begging you to come out and take their house from them, like that's not a, I mean, like you said, it's just bumping around, yeah. getting deals here and there. I mean, you know, like what I say about a broken clock, right? Like it's easy to remember once in a while you'll find something, but it's here's the difference. We talked about it in the very beginning. It's a, it's a, the distinction between a business and just like doing deals or investing, right? Like a business has to have some level of predictability, reliability and scalability, or it will never, it's not a business. It's, yep. it's a, it's a lemonade stand, right? It you're just, upfront, you're on the predictability, for- man. Like that, what yep.
0: you just said there, it, can you repeat that outcome? i look at that. And then how much can you repeat that outcome? That's the yep. question. Can you repeat that outcome? And can you repeat it within your control? Is it just given to you or yep. do you have something set in place that you know, once again, that I know every quarter I'm closing on two large storage facilities that I know every week, my wholesaler is closing on a deal. Is that a system that creates that repeatable process over and over and over again? Then you have to look at it and say, yes, now you got a business. Now, now can you scale that action? So now can we do this six, seven times a quarter, right? Can we close 50 million every quarter? How does that look? And so you're exactly right, and that's how I view businesses. Businesses are something that has a system in place to repeat profitably an action, you know, consistently. Um, and people that get there, that's awesome, right? But then yep. scaling it, that is something totally different. Um, yep. And I, I think when I look in it, for me, it was always if the business is a business is dependent on me to make money. It's not a business, it's my job.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And yep. that's something you really want to avoid.
1: Yeah. Yeah, cuz most people, you know, the crazy thing is some people leave a 9 to 5 job where they work 40 hours a week to start a new business that becomes a job where they work 80 hours a week and most of like, the time that's, make that's less. Not, yeah, and make less exactly. And that is not the goal, right? Like, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned you just started a wholesaling business. Most people view wholesaling as a very active business. And I, I understand that because the act of wholesaling is active. It is, but it doesn't have to be active for the owner necessarily. I've built a team. Like there's wholesaling going on in my business. As we speak, we're signing deals. We're closing deals. We're talking to title companies Me too. right now. We're, we're marketing. We're doing all the stuff, right? I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. I have a team. I have a business. That's yep. why I can do these things and have my podcast and talk to people like you, like that that's what it is, right? Yes. But otherwise, if I don't, if I don't have a way of, if I don't have systems and processes and I don't have reliable, predictable income, all of that goes away. I can't have a team if I don't have those things. So dude, that's like, it, man. Just man. I, I'm in love. <laughs> I love this topic. I this, love yeah, me too. Stuff. We're
0: total nerds on this thing. We could talk about it forever. Um, <laughs> but no, you're exactly right. And you know, it's funny. Cause when we started, uh, when we're starting a wholesale company, everybody's like, first of all, you know nothing about wholesaling, like nothing. And I'm like, I know. I just found out what it was yesterday. Um, and <laughs> when I looked at it, though, it, it was a solution to a problem that I had. And if I'm going to create and I needed to internalize deal flow, okay, well, people are bringing me off-market deals, but I am 100% dependent on them, as in they can shut the door to my business. And yeah. that was the same thing with capital aggregators. So people that have money and they put money with you to invest, right? They could also shut the door. Like, oh, no, all the money here, all these people give me money, then I give it to you. Yeah. Those were two major issues to scale for me. And every time I start a business, I look, can this thing go to $100 million plus? And, yeah. and if it can't, why not? And that, those were the issues I was running. I'm like, these two things, deal flow and capital, they're controlling my business. And I got to end that. And so I'm starting a wholesale company up so I can control my own deal flow. Now it needs to be profitable too, though. It needs to be its own engine that is profitable, making money. And so I went, I found other people. Um, My friend Cole, he runs a great wholesale uh, uh, company. He's just absolutely killing it up in Seattle. And I said, Hey, hey, teach me, right? I don't know. And then two, I'm going to find the, the The awesome sales guy that's ready to go out he's hungry, we can um get him all set up i'll pay for everything and leads gens we'll get him commissions and guess what we're gonna figure this thing out right yeah. i don't know how this is gonna end i'm st- yeah. I'm just in the first month, but oh really, you guys just started yeah, this month. we just Last started quarter. like yeah. yeah, we just started it was a month ago we started getting leads in, and we weren't even getting near. I found out three weeks after that we had been getting like literally 10% of the leads that we needed to be consi- consistently executing. And I'm like, well, that would have been good to know. I apologize for that. Let's <laughs> quadruple the amount of leads. So, you know, I'm a total idiot, right? I'm a total idiot trying to figure this out. And yeah. we're, we've got a software system where we're tracking leads and we could see outcomes. And I found that out in two weeks, we're looking and I'm going, this doesn't work. And so we, We're figuring it out and we're building up momentum and we're doing it, uh, uh, to, to, you know, to build something great. But the point is that I try to make to people when we're talking about this, you got to do it, set it up, right? Yeah. Right. You don't need to know everything, Yep. but you need to set it up, right? Going back when you have a business that is worth something and you're making money and trying to change the fundamental principles that made you to where you're at, that can be hard or impossible. Yeah. And so I always look at those inputs of my business, right? Am I dependent on lead flow? Who am I dependent on? Where are these things? What are all the things that take me to execute this business? And can I leverage these? And can I, can I move them up to scale? Or if they go away, how do I replace them? Am I dead in the water? Am I shot? um I have online businesses when we look at that we talk about this with Amazon or these YouTube you know stuff it's it's you got to be really careful on the platforms that you use so I try to create my own platforms so that way we yep.
1: can scale yep yeah you never want anyone to be able to shut the lights off on your yeah. on your on your business so i made that mistake too early on i had some people that were that were They had too much control of my success and failure. And I learned the hard way too. They, they kind of failed me and I had to deal with it. But you know, the whole foundation, it's, it's literally, it's a, it's a real estate analogy. You build on a strong foundation. You build on a weak foundation. It's very difficult to fix the foundation. We've all had to deal with foundation issues. It stinks. Um, so you don't want to do that in your business either. And, you know, I, honestly, I started scaling before I had a solid foundation and I had to go back and it cost me a few years of plateaued revenue because I, I just was building on, on cards because I, I was not, you know, you mentioned it, like having a system, like I would bring people into my company. It's a, it's a, it's an analogy, a metaphor, it's not literal, but I would bring them in and I would basically be staying at the one yard line of the football field. And I would say, you see that goal line on the other end, hundred yards away. Get there i don't care how you get there just that that's your goal get there and don 't even don 't bother me with the details right Just go and you can't you can 't lead like that you can 't train like that certainly no one knows what you want they don 't know how to get there. you have to have a playbook, you have to have a process you have to be repeatable it has to be something you can download and they can understand and that's not fun, but it's part of building a business yeah you know having a lemonade stand i, I, I tell people the
0: story because anyone that knows knows I am so not attentive to details right. Um, and that's just not how my mind works. And when we started up our, um, real estate company, I had all of these ideas on how things needed to be executed and we were screwing up everything and we were making mistakes. Okay. When you stop this. And so, um, we hired a gal, Sarah, and, um, she's awesome. Uh, but she is, uh, very different from me. Um, she is extremely analytical to the approach where it needs to be. Things are black and white. You do this or you don't. Right. And yeah. this is the method in which you did. So I just took her and I said, here's everything. I made videos. I did things and I talked and I wrote things down and put it in. I'm like, make this into a manual. And then she took everything that we had and everything we we're doing. And she developed and helped us do processes. Then I said, this is how I want to implement these processes. This is how we need to follow them up. when you check the point being is I couldn't do that. There was just no way, right? My brain, I was never going to be able to sit down and and build this stuff out. And this goes back to what you talk about. In order to scale, you have to bring people in that have talents that are not yours and that can do things that you can't. Because if my employees had to rely on me, they'd be over. It'd just be done. They'd be like, well, I don't know if I'm succeeding or failing. You told me to come in. You told me not to do it. So now I can say, listen, we have a trainer now who goes and they train exactly on how we want things done. We have our three departments. We have our department that handles HR employee related everything. Here's what you have to do. Here's your job description. Here's, you know, we got to follow up. Um, We have policies, procedures and the capital, running delinquencies, all that kind of stuff. And then we have the maintenance, the physical assets, the construction side, Right. And they hold all the employees below them accountable for these things. You've got to do this. We need our, our properties to look a certain way and you have payment authorizations. You got to, you know, that stuff's not the fun stuff. I I mean, we're talking payment authorizations. Who who (laughs) cares about that? That's not exciting. Right. But it has to happen.
1: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely, man. That, that is, that is so true. I learned that about myself too. And I think, you know, for what they're worth, they're not, they're not hundred percent accurate, but I think personality assessments are important. I, I've taken so many in the last five years and they all come back and scream, you stink at details. Don't be yes. in charge of details. If you ask me to look at a document prior to it being deployed somewhere, you're 50, 50 chance. It's going to be screwed yeah. up. It's not going to be right. I, yep. I just can't do it. You know? So you have to realize, that, and it goes back to the beginning. We talked about not having this ego and just saying, listen, I'm not good at this. I need someone who's good at it to do it or better than me or, or way better than me in some cases. And, you know, ego costs a lot of money, man. You, you can hold oh, on to your yeah. ego as long as you want, and you can just spiral and crash. Well, and a lot of people sit there and they go,
0: listen, first of all, I'm not big. Um, I can't hire people. To... We live in a world of Upwork and Fiber. Yeah. I, there are people you can contract out for one time. They can do continual monthly things. They can execute on things that you should be doing or not doing good. They can do it way better than you at a fraction of the cost of your time. I know. And so we live in a great time and era where you can go find these people and you can reach out and you can tell people and you can go out online. Upwork, I use it all the time. I go out and I say, I got this job. Um, it may be a one time, I may mean, need a month to month. Here's to the yeah. description. Please tell me what you think, your thoughts, and then they help you. Um, yep. There's just no
1: end, it seems like, to the resources to build a business today. Yep. I, most of my people are in person, but I literally was having a conversation with an Upwork contractor that I just hired before we started talking. Like, yeah. I literally stopped that conversation, started the camera, opened it up, started talking to you. Like, you're right. If you want to run, start, run, build, scale a business in this world that we're in today and you can't figure it out, shame on you. Yeah. There's so many resources. It's so, so possible. Many. And this comes back down
0: to the responsibility of the owner or the entrepreneur. It is about guiding the talent and the resources. Like you said, somebody's got to be guiding them. Somebody's got to be because yep. it's yours. And you need to say, this is the vision and everything. I, you need to help me execute it. That's fine. But we have to be all leading everybody in the right direction. And that is, you know, we talk about scaling. Um, probably leadership is the most important part. If you can't bring everybody together to achieve something, you just can't scale because those parts have to work together.
1: Yeah. And leadership is not something, it's not a skill you acquire along the way you can develop it and you may have a little of it inherently but being a technician going out drumming up business closing deals being in the trenches that doesn't necessarily prepare you for leadership it prepares you to do what you're doing you have to you have to be able and that's another thing where you have to be a little bit humble and say yes i don't know if i'm the best leader like i need to spend time developing that skill developing myself to be a better leader and understanding it isn't just my way or the highway. I mean, that doesn't—that's not necessarily how you inspire people yeah. to love working for you, right? Yeah. So you have to be humble enough to say, "I'm not the best leader, and I need to get better for my people and for my company. I need to get better." So. Uh, oh man, that and I, nobody has a problem with that. I'm telling you right right now. No. When
0: you tell your employees, "Oh, jeez, listen, I'm sorry, I'm not very good at this. I'm I'm going to work on this, going to get better. Let me give you the feedback you need. Let me sit down." Yep. Nobody has a problem with that. No. Everybody's okay. We know they're not perfect. In fact, too, I think most, most people they look at their leader and they go, "Okay, that's first of all." Lots of times when you got to do that, I, I'm not look, I'm not a micromanager, right? I don't like to be. I'm like, listen, if we hire you, we give you the framework. I want you to do what you do, but at the same time, if you just let people go, that's bad. I got to be getting in front of all my ploys. We got to be doing reviews. We got to be having those discussions. We got to be saying, where are the metrics that you're looking at and where are you lining up? Um, And once again, back to details, right? Hard stuff for me. Um, But those are the things that you need to sit down and you need to do. And I had, for me, one of the things that really helped me is uh, on, I have uh, my partner, one of my partners is my brother-in-law is extremely analytical, right? He's an accountant. Um, and he's more attention to detail, right? And we play off each other very well. Um, I recognize those weeks weaknesses and I have to defer to him for those things and vice versa. That's okay. And understanding. And I love that you talk about the personality test, get to know yourself. So when you're building this foundation, you talked about a few things, policies, procedures, you got to start it right, right? Build it right. That foundation you mentioned, build a good foundation. And then two, Understand yourself. Understand where your weaknesses are and be okay with it and communicate that, right? Communicate, this is where I'm good. This is what I'm doing. I need help with these things and make a process to to build it out.
1: Yep. Two things too. I think it's important to know your people. So they all should take a personality assessment too. You should know who you're dealing with and what makes them tick and how they like to learn and how they like to work. Um, but I, you know, one of the things I found, it's not intuitive, certainly for folks that, you know, maybe had a, had a life in corporate or whatever, nothing, nothing will help you get it, get further ahead with your employees in terms of relationships and how they view you as, you admitting when you're wrong as, a, as an owner, when you don't have to, yeah. you know, if you can just say, Hey man, not me, you go do that. You fix it. Your problem. Right. Everyone was going, Oh, okay. But when you can go guys, listen, this was on me. I screwed this up and, yeah. and it's not going to happen again. And here's how I'm going to fix that. So people go, wow, he admitted he was wrong. He was yeah. wrong and he admitted he was wrong. Yeah. And that's awesome. You know, people respect that. They res- it's not weak. It's, it's people respect when you can be man enough or woman enough to say I was wrong and I'm taking ownership of this.
0: You know, and that's the interesting thing about being a leader. And when you're scaling and you have other people, um, I see leaders that defer blame onto their employees in front of other people, even when sometimes even when it's their fault. The problem that you got to realize, though, is you're the boss. You're the leader. It doesn't matter if it didn't. It's your fault. Why weren't you tracking that? Why didn't you look at it? Why didn't you see it? And that is just – I think when people see that and they see that their leaders or their bosses, whoever, do that, it immediately says, I see how this is, right? Mm -hmm. Because when we succeed, you're going to take that. Guarantee (laughs) you'll take that, right? And I like to tell people when you're leading, if your team – when your team fails, you have that conversation in private, not public. And when you get in public, it's your failure always. Yep. And – you got to do it in verse when they succeed. Totally, man.
1: Recognize great, it. Great book. If you haven't read it, anybody out there listening, it's called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willing. Fantastic book. And it's all about that. You're the leader. It's, it starts and stops with you. It's your fault. And, and you give the credit to the employee. Exactly what you just said. You basically were reading the back of the book. So that's, that's awesome. It's a great book. It's 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 great an you, and it, it changed it changed me too. Not that I was a big blamer, but it, it, it put even more of it on me as a leader. Like, no, it's not sometimes you. It's always you, you. right? So you have to take ownership of that.
0: Well, and that process turns you into a leader because it turns you into, okay, I really do need to figure this out. I really need to understand what's going on. And two, I need to help you succeed because if not, I'm taking the blame either way. So I better make sure it happens, right? (laughs) So
1: it puts you in that position. Well, you know what? The the other thing that – it's funny. It's a a weird phenomenon that when – if you're in front of the group and something went wrong and you go, you know what, guys? That was my fault. I, I really should have been more engaged. I wasn't I didn't I didn't give you the proper tools. I didn't give you the proper information. I I should have done that. When it's not your fault and the person who's sitting in that room knows it's their fault, it sort of can sometimes start a where they go, "You know what? I got to I got to take some responsibility here. I mean, this was my job. You entrusted me to do." it. And pretty soon you have this culture of people who are going, "Yeah, on me. My I I'm going to take I'm going to take this one." And they're like, "No, no, 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 no. That was on me." You know, it's like this weird like Everybody is feels good and comfortable yes. with saying I, it was me, right? And it's it's just a healthy environment. It's about cultivating responsibility. <clears throat> yep. And I
0: love what you just said there. And it was funny because, um, you know, me and um, uh, some of my 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 employees, um, Connor, who's a co-host of Self Storage Income, we're talking about this yesterday and talking about personal responsibility and how that was important because I want when creating our companies culture. And as we're kind of evolving in the startups, cause you don't know until you're moving right, right? You're not sure. So I want to yeah. make sure I understand the employees and what their feedback and what the culture is. And what do you think we are? Like what you're in this environment. What do you think we stand for? And that was one of the things that, um, you mentioned and I loved it. Cause I'm like, yes, you're correct. Uh, culture of responsibility and ownership And uh, um, that starts and ends with whoever's at the helm. And if you're not doing it, that's not the culture. So if you start the blame game, everybody will do it. Yep. And then you get gossiping and you can't retain good people because good people don't put up with that bull crap. They just
1: don't. No. Nope. Nope, they don't. And and your culture is – there like i I tell people all the time just like processes if you go i don't have a process you do it might be really horrible (laughs) but you have you do something right You your company has a culture and if you don't know what it is and you're not actively involved in creating it it's probably crappy it's probably not great right so it's like a personality right like everyone has a personality some people have bad personalities some people have good personalities some people work on it some people don't so your company culture and then the great thing is too when you have a good culture there's such thing called positive peer pressure. Peer, peer pressure isn't yes. always getting someone to smoke or do drugs or do something bad. Peer pressure can be positive when Very everyone nice. around you is, is focused, rowing in the right direction, has a good attitude, takes responsibility, is willing to, to give their time and their energy and help. It's like that's a bad, a bad egg can't live in that environment. It yeah. can't. can't. It'll weed exactly. itself out. It'll, 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 it'll self-select because it can't survive there.
0: Yes. I couldn't agree. And that's really what you want to do. You want a culture to be so strong that the people it acts like a magnet or attracted to it, and the people yep. that shouldn't be there, they it's it's they understand it's it, this isn't for me, and yep. it's an organic 100%. conversation and understanding. Hundred you know, percent, I love that. Well, listen, man, I could literally just talk about this all day. So <laughs> I, know, I could um, too. <laughs> this is a fun topic. It's 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 exciting. It's dynamic, and I think it's really helpful. And for everyone listening to it, though, you talk about these things, you're like, oh, I'll worry about that when you get employees. It's too late then. Yeah. Right, if oh, you build yeah. it wrong, yeah, it's going to be wrong. you yeah. got to think about this. Who am I? What is this company, and what does it yep. mean, and what am i going to Who am I hiring because who you hire affects your culture. I have to hire for a new position, and they're going to be at the corporate office. they're going to be here with us, and the person that was replacing it says i have a, I have a good idea of a candidate first thing I asked. Are they going? To, are they going to fit in well with this culture? I don't care. Okay. We'll get to we'll get to talents, and we'll get to if they're right for the job and everything later. Yep. Are they going to fit in with our culture? And you because mentioned if the answer, it right. No, we're
1: done. Ownership, responsibility, those are, those are the, the core values of your company. Yeah. So honestly, I've gotten to the point now where I pay far less attention to their resume oh, and I pay yeah. way more attention to their core values. I start talking yes. to them. I find out what their core values are. And if it's not a core value fit, I don't care how good they look experience-wise, I need a good core value fit. I could not agree more. We
0: talk about this all the time in the, in the organization. I talk about my employees. I can teach people to do things. I can't teach a person to be a good person nor a hard worker. Right. I can't teach that. Yeah. So if I hire good people that are hard workers over candidates that may be more qualified but are maybe not my type of good person and yeah. – or yeah. maybe not be a hard worker, the the hard worker will surpass them and their output will be twice as much even sure. if they're not good. And it's – that's something – once again, those are things you can't teach. Yeah. Um, but anyways, Okay. Everybody, where should everybody go to find you? We'll have you on again so we can just chat. And man, we may not
1: even put it in a podcast. So I'll just chat. So uh, <laughs> I'm down for it, man. I'm down for it. I think we're cut from the similar, similar cloth. Yes. Um, so they can find me. I have a podcast called Just Start Real Estate. I'd love for you to check it out. You can email me at Mike at Just Start Real Estate if you want to get a hold of me. Um, I'm actually going to be speaking next month at a virtual event that I'm talking about right now. Uh, it's called Flip Hacking Live. It's a huge event. Uh, it's put on every year. It's a three-day event. So this year, it's October 15th, 16th, and 17th. I'll be speaking there. There's going to be another you know, dozen or so other phenomenal real estate investors who are going to be uh, on stage talking. Um, and if you want to find out about that, you can go to bestrealestateevent.com. And check it out. I would encourage that. And then finally, uh, I have my book, uh, Level Jumping, we talked about. It is everything we just talked about and and more. It's it's a whole book. So there's we cover even more than we were able to cover today, but uh, a lot more of what we just talked about. And you can get that on Amazon. Or if you want, if it's okay with, with you, I can give them a free digital download if that's something yeah, people want to consume it that way. You can get the whole book uh, in its entirety if you just text the words, two words now, just start. So the words just start to 55444 and I'll get you a free digital download of the book. Awesome. Thank
0: you for that. Appreciate yeah, that. Man. And um, once again, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on. This was awesome. I had a blast. Thanks for having me. And I, I agree. I had a great time. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflow with the number 2 freedomcom or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.